But uh, I'm not trying to prolong worship this morning because I didn't have time to prepare the busy conference. In fact, I've got something burning on my heart for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that I've got a chance to share it. We just had a great time down at Port Edward with about 12 churches. It was a smallish group. It was like a men's camp, about 150 people, but representing 12 different churches, just like core groups from different churches. A lot of people who knew each other, so it created that like family time away. And uh, it was just uh, been a wonderful time. Got back last night. And um, I wonder, we're going to do two things. We're going to take up the, the morning offering. So if we could take our... Offering in our hands, our Bible in our other hands. Open the Bible to Luke 24 and the person's wallet next to you, anywhere you like. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give into the gospel that through the church this word will be proclaimed. Thank you for the means by which you have orchestrated that to happen as we bring our tithes and offerings today. Thank you for the great partnership and the great privilege of giving joyfully today. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Luke 24, well-known passage of Scripture. We know Jesus has spent three years with His disciples. After the three years were up, he prophesied his death, burial, and resurrection. When the death, burial, and resurrection took place, the disciples were very confused. They were very disappointed. They somehow thought this was the Messiah who was going to turn things around. They had great expectations of the coming kingdom. And they were a little bit disappointed because now he's been crucified and buried. They didn't have the news that he'd been raised yet. And uh, we found a couple of these disciples walking along a road. And they, they were on a road to Emmaus and discussing these things. From verse 30. Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing Him. Underline, they were kept from recognizing Him. Can it be that in a situation we find ourselves, that Jesus is there, but we just don't recognize Him? And it goes on. I wonder if, uh, Sean, we could have, you could just get ready to, to uh, put up from verse... verse... Uh, Let's read from verse 25. Well, let's read from verse 19. Sorry, we're going to read this. What things he asked about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Um... From verse 25. Jesus says to them, Are we there? Okay. How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Just keep your finger in there, we're going to come back. But let's just jump to Romans chapter 1 and see how Paul speaks about that. Or just listen to it as I read it. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Verse 2. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And then Galatians, which comes straight after Corinthians, chapter 3 and verse 8 or verse 6. Galatians 3, 6. Consider Abraham, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, those who are, have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's go back to the book of Luke. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This book is all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelations, the revelation set out here that we have to unpack and open up from chapter to chapter, book to book, from the writings of Moses, which were the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, through all the books of the prophets, right up to Malachi, the prophets ended with John the Baptist, is about Jesus. About the good news of the gospel, about God's plan on our behalf. And that's why wherever we go in this book, we can open up and begin to see the person of Jesus. And this gospel was announced to Abraham. It was good news to Abraham because it was anchored in Abraham believing God. Not doing anything, just believing God is what announced the gospel, the kind of gospel that was coming when Jesus Christ would hang on a tree and cry out, it is finished. That message was announced to Abraham because through faith he took hold of it. And we've been studying it a little while and we've come to understand that because of man's transgression and because of man's waywardness and rebellion, God brought in through Moses the, the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, uh, the, the, all the rituals or the sacraments of the tabernacle, fe the feasts and all the moral and ceremonial law. And these laws acted as a, as a riverbed pointing towards the cross. They were never the, the covenant. The covenant was announced to Abraham through faith. But because of man's God wanting to use a nation to bring the gospel seed from Adam right through the nation of Israel to Christ so that he could finish the work on the cross, he put into operation those laws and rituals and regulations that this 
nation became very proud about, but unfortunately began to minimize and water them down and brought them, instead of the law doing its job, which was to point them towards Christ, Galatians says, the purpose of the law was to show transgression. It was, in fact, in Romans 3 it says, it actually, uh, at least Romans 7, it actually uh, creates sin. The, the law was what made man aware of sin and actually gave it the, 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 the energy, if, to use another word. And I don't want to do a whole Bible study on what the purpose of the law was, but just enough to say they had missed the purpose of the law and brought it down to where it was palatable, brought it down to where it could be achieved by themselves. And that gave them their sense of righteousness. For example, the, the young, the rich ruler who came to Jesus and said, Good Lord, what can I do to be saved? And Jesus said, Well, what does Moses say? You see, Jesus was still operating before the, the cross, and he was still operating within the parameters of that covenant. And he said, Well, what does the law of Moses say? And then he went through, this young rich man went through the laws. It says, you know, don't do this, don't do that. He said, Even since I was a young boy, I kept all these things. And then Jesus said to him, but there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all you have. And at this, the man's heart was greatly distressed because he had many things and he went away saddened. Why? Because the first commandment Jesus pointed out was not to have any gods before God, not to have any idols, not to put anything before God. This man didn't realize he was breaking it because they had brought all the laws down to their standard. And Jesus comes and through the Gospels, you see, he, he raises the standard on the Sabbath. He raises the standard on uh, adultery. He says, even if you look with an adulterous eye, you've committed adultery. Because they found ways and means, you know, little loopholes through those things. And, and Jesus came to expose the true purpose of the law, which was to make man aware of his sin, so that he would be led to, his, to the Messiah. But until they came under that conviction, they would never feel like they needed to be saved. So Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. He says, if you even get angry with somebody. I mean, come on, who got a little bit, if, this year, who's got a little bit angry with somebody? We know how real that is to our human emotions. He says, even that thing is breaking the law. That is worthy of punishment. And you see, many times, Jesus speaks very strongly into this context, because until people come to that awareness, that that's what the law was given for, to make them so aware that they needed a saviour. Um, who was that evangelist in Australia who used to use the law, he, he, the New Zealander, Ray Comfort, he'd, he'd meet people in the streets and say, do you, do you think um, that, that if you believed in, in God, would you, do you think you could enter his heaven? And I say, yeah, well, I'm not a bad person. No. So you're quite a good person. Okay, let's go through it. Have you ever taken something from work that didn't belong to you? Well, maybe once or twice. Okay, well, then the Bible says you're a thief. Okay, okay let's move on. Um, do, do, have you ever looked at a woman that's not your wife and thought, yeah, I'd like to sleep with her? Well, maybe. Okay. Well, you know, the Bible says you're an adulterer, okay? Okay, have you ever got cross with somebody, like really cross, you could have taken their head off, and you know, well, maybe once or twice. Okay, well, the Bible says you're a murderer. So we've had a conversation for three minutes now. We've ascertained you're an adulterer, a thief, and a murderer, but you think you're good enough to get into heaven. Hello? Can you see why Jesus was using the law? And it was only when Jesus cried out, it is finished. His words were fulfilled. 
when he said, I have not come to abolish the law. In fact, until the end of time, this law will always stand. It's not a bad law. It's good and holy and pure. It just can't make people good and holy and pure. It, and on the cross, when Jesus cried, it is finished, he was announcing that his total fulfillment of this law had reached its climax in the cross. And then we have the epistles that come and explain to us how that law now, we, that the old husband we were married to, we died through the body of Christ, Romans 7. We've come into new freedom. There's now no condemnation to those in Christ. And some of these things we've taught, but we've just got to, from time to time, revisit this. That Jesus went back with his disciples on the road to Mass and explained from Scripture, from Moses, right through the prophets, all about himself. And we've got to, from time to time, do the same thing. These were disciples. We, many of us disciples here, got to hear that the good news was announced to Abraham. It was through faith and faith alone. When we take the words of Jesus that apply to those that are under the law, we put them on ourselves and make ourselves feel condemned and unworthy, then either we must repent and put our faith in Christ and be born again so that we die to the law and are married to Christ and walk into freedom, or we must renew our minds that we stop living under bondage of rules and performance and do this and don't do this and don't touch this, don't touch that. On the cross, the Bible says the, everything that was accusing us, in Colossians chapter 2, that was, the written law that was accusing you was nailed to the cross. And he made a triumphant, victorious, declaration of your it is finished now jesus is talking to these disciples over here i find that very when you study the gospels and you study the words of jesus he, he's often for those that are proud he's very harsh but in love even that rich young rich young man says he loved him but his love was strong because they couldn't bring the law down. Jesus was bringing the law so hard that it was impossible for man. You know, it's impossible for you to please God by keeping the law. Impossible. But I'll tell you what, if I were to ask this morning, who believes we should keep the Ten Commandments? How many of you put your hands up? Okay. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that keeping the Ten Commandments can't, can't add or take away anything from your relationship with God. Because that was the written ordinance, Colossians 2, that was nailed to the cross. Yet we won't have any problem with someone getting up and teaching on the Ten Commandments, one by one by one. But if someone comes up and preaches about the finished work of the cross, we'll have a big problem with that. But the Ten Commandments can't add or take away. They've been fulfilled through Christ. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. It was the written law, not just the ceremonial law, according to Colossians 2. It was the written What was written in stone? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The ministry that brought death. The ministry that brought condemnation. Written on stone. What was written on stone? The ceremonial law. The civil law. No, the Ten Commandments. That brought death, and it was intended to bring death because it had to show man that he was completely incapable, and we are still now no longer under the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, one commandment I've got for you. There's only one condition to the new covenant, and that's Abraham's faith, because by faith we're justified. There's a difference between justification and forgiveness. I can say to you, you did something to me, I forgive you. Justification is something completely different. 
If you're forgiven, the magistrate says, okay, well, just pay up this and this and this, and you'll be forgiven. Justification is, sorry, uh, what did you do? We have no record of that. Justification is completely different to forgiveness. What Jesus did on the cross, when we put our faith in it, the faith of Abraham is justification. Now, the finished work of the cross, the better covenant that 2 Corinthians 3 says, if that was the ministry of death and of condemnation and was a fading glory, this is an increasing glory because it's based on the gift of righteousness. It's based in a a covenant that God has made with Himself. That's why we need to, from time to time, revisit a quick synopsis of the gospel from Genesis through to the gospels, or else subtly, subtly stuff starts creeping in. It's for freedom. That 2 Corinthians 3 goes on and says, there's a veil over their eyes. But when Christ is preached and they receive, the veil is lifted. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. If we're not living in freedom in our lives, I'm telling you what, we don't know this finished work of the cross. Because it says in Romans chapter 6, you sin shall no longer have dominion over you because you are no longer under the law but under grace. No longer have dominion over you. You know what that means? Sin should not have dominion over us. That means if I'm in real bondage and I'm struggling, of course God loves me and there's grace. But, 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 but I think that shows more that I haven't understood that I'm free. Because when I realize I'm not under law, but under grace, the Bible says sin shouldn't be my master anymore. Why is it my master? That shows me something's not right. In first Adam, I was born that way. I couldn't do anything about it. I died and went to hell because of his sin. I was born with that nature in me, a propensity towards evil. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation because the last Adam has come to set me free. In the last Adam, I have to be born again. That Adam I was born into. This Adam, it's not what I do right or wrong that sends me to heaven. It's the being in, first, in last Adam. I went, to hell, I went to hell. I died and went to hell in first Adam because that's who I was born into. When I'm born again into last Adam, I go to heaven and I have life, Zoe life, because of last Adam. Come on, we, we should know these things. We should be going, hallelujah at least. <laughs> this is good news. This means that sin shouldn't be my master because the law has been broken. The nature of sin that I was given over here in first Adam has been destroyed on the cross. It's been circumcised, Colossians 2 says. It's been torn and ripped out of my life. I've been given a new nature. Any man in Christ is a new creation. I should be living in the Spirit. I should be living free. If I'm not, there's usually a problem here. Now, that's not to say we don't make mistakes and lose our temper and get cross. I'm talking about when we're totally in the grip of a sin. Because now the issue is not, with this new creation nature, it's not, a, it's not my sinful nature trying to get out. I've got a new nature, a God-righteousness nature. But there's still temptation trying to get in. There's still sin attacking me. I've still got to resist and, and, and I can fail. And you probably will before Jesus comes back. I hope that's not prophetic, but it probably is, because if you're going to live another ten years. But sin won't be our master, the Bible says. Now you say, Steve, how did you get from the road to Emmaus to here? 
Jesus had to go and revisit this whole thing all over again because he said, how foolish and slow of heart. You should have these things built into you. You should know this. It's a bit like Paul in Galatians chapter, chapter 2. He said, are you foolish Galatians? Who's bewitched you? Who brought another gospel? Don't you know that you are saved by the gospel of grace, he says in chapter 2. And now you're letting people put another gospel on you. It's, it's kind of mixing up this do's and don'ts and this day and that day and this religious activity and that religion. And you're getting people to get you all mixed up. You see, the Bible is all about Jesus and the good news of this gospel. From Genesis to Revelations, that is the broad stroke picture that is our hope and our glory and our joy. Jesus was harsh on a proud spirit. But he was so gracious, he lifted up a humble spirit. Does it say that in James? God resists the, but gives grace to the. He tells a story about a son who was wayward and ran off and spent all his money on prostitutes. When he came home, he should have been stoned. The Lord demanded he should have been stoned. Jesus says the father opened his arms and put a robe around him and had the calf slaughtered and had a celebration. A woman pressed through the crowd with an issue of blood and touched the hem of his garment. She tried to run away. And when they tried to find out who she was, she tried to slip through the crowd. Why was she trying to run away? Because she would have been stoned. The Lord demanded she should be stoned. The law is ruthless. It's pure, holy and just for that reason. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Who's this man to change the law of God? To say, it is written, but I say. It is written, but I say. Maybe it's God himself. Because this was his plan the whole time. What about a prostitute brought to him? Caught. By them. They're carrying stones. They bring her before Jesus. They say, the Lord demands she should be stoned. He stoops down. He writes a little bit on the ground. Interesting there, eh? Sin will stoop at your door. But you must overcome it. Jesus was the, the scapegoat that stooped at the door and took her sin. Maybe he was writing the, the, the Ten Commandments on the, in the... Because that would have sorted them out, oldest to youngest. Especially if he said, when last did you get angry, murderer? When last did you commit adultery? Yeah, I saw who you looked at this morning. Why haven't you plucked your eye out yet, hypocrite? Why haven't they left from the oldest to the youngest? I think the oldies know why. Young people, they know why. They're just not telling you. Because he resists the proud, those who want some kind of, I can do it, and he, those who come in total humility. When Peter was on the boat and Jesus said, throw your net on that side. And Jesus he caught those fish. You know, what Je- you know what he said to Jesus? Go away from me. I'm a sinful... I mean, he was a rough oak. He was a foul-mouthed, sun-bleached, rugged, rough-handed fisherman. But let me tell you, when he encountered the kindness of God, the undeserved, unearned, unmerited kindness, Romans 2 verse 4 says, it's God's kindness that leads us to... Repentance. Change of mind. When we encounter the, the, the kindness of God, it, our minds change. 
I tell you what, when we keep on preaching, you mustn't, you mustn't, you shall not, you shall not. We are arming what was destroyed, the principality of power. We are arming that which Jesus disarmed. And the load gets heavier and heavier. But when we preach freedom and grace and mercy and the love of God, we are preaching consistent with the flow of the gospel. And that brings people into freedom. That sets people alive in God again. But like the foolish Galatians, so easily we can slip. So easily. So do you mind if we revisit this from time to time? Like once every, what, seven days? How's that? How about we, I mean, you can, you can get your, your um, personal trainer on Monday, and then you can have your, your personal life coach on Tuesday, and he can help you with your purpose and destiny. Wonderful, we believe in that. We want you to dream as much as God has got for you. On Wednesday, we want you to go, you know, for this course. And that, but maybe on Sundays, we should just preach the gospel. How's that for a concept? Well, I don't know. Maybe I should say that on this side of the church. Maybe I'll... Young girl was sitting on an aeroplane with her mom. Very sad because they just returned from a funeral. And her mother was trying to cheer her up and said to her, Oh, look out the window. How beautiful the clouds and the colors and the sun coming through the rainbow. Oh, look, sweetheart, that looks like heaven. Trying to distract her. Little girl looked out the window. She stared and she stared. She stared some more. And eventually she turned around to her mother and said, but mommy, I, I can't see Jesus. You see, heaven wasn't going to be heaven for her without Jesus. It wasn't just about all my needs will be met. It wasn't just about I will have no sickness. It wasn't all about the streets of gold. It was, I'm going to meet Jesus. If Jesus is not there, it's not heaven. If I come to church and we're worshipping, I don't care how nice the music is and how cool the atmosphere is. If, if, I want to see Jesus there. I want to know Jesus is there. When I go to the Word from Genesis or Revelations, I want to make sure I find Jesus. Because I can know all the theology and I can know my soteriology and I can know my anthropology and I, know, I can know my archaeology and I can know my, 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 my everything. But, but, but I want to find Jesus. I want to feel Him because it's not the Word without Jesus. It's not church without Jesus. It's not heaven without Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Beginning to end. And He explained that to them. And He showed them. Oh, and we haven't finished that passage. We're going to just finish the reading and call it quits for this morning. Luke, where were we? Chapter? Chapter? Uh, 28. Let's go from verse 28. Just read to the end of 35. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they argued with him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our not hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Is, is there a little bit of warming in your heart this morning? I, I hope it's coming through that. I hope the word of God is getting into you 
a little bit this morning. Hey, Pete, you, you respond nicely to the word getting into you. Hey, like, like that picture. A little bit of warming going on in your, in your heart. Hey, Alison, I know that happens to you too. <laughs> you go to the, if I'm in the Word and, and I don't recognize, I don't feel His presence, I don't wait till Sunday till I open my Bible. I've got, I got the Scriptures with me. I, I don't read them to get clever. I don't read them to be argumentative. I, I read them because I want to understand the Gospel. I want to understand the gospel announced to Abraham in Genesis, fulfilled in Revelations. I want to understand the message of good news. Their hearts were warmed, but their eyes were opened, and they realized who had been with them when they took the bread and broke it. Isn't that a beautiful... Who would like to have been part of that Bible study he gave them on the road? <laughs> Imagine walking on the... Just like a, being like a fly on the wall, you know, a fly on the shoulder. Just, just kind of listening to him open up and open up and... oh. That revelation, I believe, came to Paul. That's why God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Why would he use Paul to write two-thirds of the New Testament? Because he had that revelation of Christ. Some of the other guys had some. You know, Peter was there on the upper, saw the thing come down, and you know, two years later, he was back into his Judaism. Not all of them were saints. Let me say they, but they did repent. They did love God. They did walk in the light. I say that. That's why every word here is holy and true and allowed by the Holy Spirit. Just interesting that God used Paul for two thirds of it. And most of the arguments against it, the message is about Paul. I'm going, well, God, then you obviously made a mistake. <laughs> no, we're not logic about it. We don't actually think it through. Their hearts burned, their eyes were opened. And they couldn't wait to get back to their brothers to tell them who they'd been with. It's not home if Jesus isn't there. It's not school (laughs) if Jesus is not there. It's certainly not church if Jesus is not here. I wonder if we can stand together. Lisa, would you mind coming up? I just want to pray for a group of people and then we'll dismiss Lord, we thank you for the unveiling of our eyes, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the spirit of revelation. I pray for people standing here this morning who maybe attended church, maybe grown up with some faith, but have never encountered what it means to have been born again. Born again into lost Adam into Jesus Christ. Receive the new nature that comes by the Holy Spirit. That as they walk in the Spirit intentionally, they'll fulfill the law accidentally. Because the law of love is the summation of the entire Old Testament law. But I'm praying for people this morning, Lord, who need that revelation. Let me ask you, sir, madam, lady, If you aren't 100% sure that you've been born again in your life, I want to pray a prayer. I want to lead you sentence by sentence. Just pray in your heart, and I'll pray out loud. Maybe we'll all pray with you to encourage you. But just pray as if it was just you standing before the Lord this morning. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, you came. You 
You lived, died, buried, and you rose again on the third day. I put my faith in what you did in this gospel that was announced to Abraham. By faith, I will be justified, washed pure from all my sin through the precious blood. All sin, past, present, and future, you said you'd remember no more. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me with the new life of Christ. Just while we just in an attitude of prayer. If you prayed that and you prayed it for the first time and I want to invite you just to look up at me, make eye contact wherever you're standing in the, in the church. And in a moment, I just want to look in your general direction. If I look towards you, I want you to raise your hand. That doesn't save you. What saves you is putting your faith in Jesus. But I want to just pray a prayer of agreement which is very helpful to establish what you've done. So if you Looking up at me right now, I want to look in your direction. I want you just to indicate by raising your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Anybody right here? Just raise your hand. I can see. Anybody in this section here? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else here? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else in this section? In this part of the church, anybody right now? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, lady. That's wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody here? Just right now, just... If you're looking up, just raise your hand high enough. I know who we're praying for. Just raise your hand. In this section over here, the back there, thank you. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Over here on the side of the church, thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else here? And right, about right now, the enemy's voice comes and says, well, maybe it's just all emotionalism. Let me tell you, by the word of God, it's the truth. And that truth will set you free. Right now, wherever you stand, those of you raise your hand. Just slip out from where you are. Just come and stand with me here now. I want to pray with you. Come right now. Don't listen to the second thought. That's right. Just keep coming. You sir, you ma'am, just keep coming. We welcome you here this morning. Thank you. We're going to pray with you right here on the front. We're going to just, we're rejoicing because the gospel can set people free. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is his love. And we rejoice with you this morning. Can I have one or two of the leaders just to come and stand behind them? I want you just to look up at me. I, sometimes we do this, sometimes we don't. And when I feel the Spirit of God prompt me, it's not to embarrass you, it's not to make you feel awkward. It's because we want to be close enough that through the contact, physical eye contact, we can just pray over you and see you being set free to go from this place with this wonderful good news of the gospel. Amen. So these people standing behind you love you. They've all been up here at some stage. And I'm going to ask them to reach out their hands because we're going to ask for just a baptism of God's love to come and visit you right now and bring just a healing and to bring a filling. So let's pray, church. Father, right now, those of you in front here, won't you lift your hands up to the Lord? Just lift your hands up. Thank you, Lord. They've heard, he's heard your prayer. He heard your prayer. You prayed right now. And he heard you say, Father, forgive me. And he says, 
I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new mind. I will remember your sins no longer. No man will have to teach you to know me because you will know me from the greatest to the least. You will leave this place with a knowledge of God. You won't need to go look for somebody to tell you because you will know Him. You will hear Him. He will be with you. He says He will be in you. He will change your life. He will take the circumstances. The same grace that's touching you right now is the same grace that's going to transform the rest of your life. Your marriage, your home, your work, everything comes by faith and grace. Nothing is earned, nothing is deserved, nothing is of merit, but it's His grace. And the more you come to know that, the more you will walk into your inheritance, the more you will see His favor come through. He loves you too much to think it's got something to do with you. Your salvation and your future blessing. He loves you too much to think, let you think it's got something to do with you because it hasn't. It's not His part and your part. It's His part. And now, Lord, we just ask, Spirit of God, would you just come and fill these precious folks standing up here in Jesus' wonderful name. From the top of their heads, Lord, to the soles of their feet, just fill them to saturation, Lord, just to saturation. We thank you for them. We thank you for these dear young people, Lord, calling out to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The folks standing with you are going to just minister to you and pray with you. Everybody else, thank you for sharing with us.